Hello there, and welcome to episode number 108 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. Alright, so, we got some signings to talk about this week between Chris Bassett's three-year, $63 million contract that he signed with the Blue Jays earlier this week, and then also, we got an outfielder to talk about here in Kevin Kiermeyer, who has joined the Blue Jays on a one-year, $9 million deal, uh, and, and it also includes incentives if he stays healthy and on the field for a certain number of games. So those are two moves that are very exciting, or should be very exciting for Blue Jays fans. So let's dive right in here. Okay, so let's start with Chris Bassett here, because between him and Kiermaier, obviously, he's the more notable signing, right? And even though, you know, for those of you who don't, you know, follow baseball on a wide um, scale, then you probably haven't really heard uh, of Chris Bassett prior to... Uh, a few days ago when the Blue Jays signed him Uh, and his deal still isn't official yet so he hasn't been added to the Blue Jays 40-man roster yet and I'll get into the recent uh, happenings with that a little bit later but the Bassett edition is one that is pretty significant for the Blue Jays because it now gives them a core four in their starting rotation that revolves around Alec Manoa, Kevin Gosman, Jose Barrios, and Chris Bassett. Like, that's a really solid top four. And, you know, there's still uh, uncertainty uh, uh, regarding the fifth spot and, you know, whether or not Kukuchi will ultimately... Um, take hold of that or whether it be Mitch White or somebody else you know there's still time to determine that I don't think the Blue Jays are done we'll get into that later on though but in terms of Chris Bassett joining the fray he's somebody who isn't gonna be you know that shutdown frontline starter and that's okay he doesn't need to be that isn't what the Blue Jays signed him to be what they did acquire him to do though is give them quality length from the middle of their starting rotation. Because Bassett is a guy who's been very consistent basically throughout the majority of his career. A bit of a late bloomer where he didn't hit his stride at the major league level until basically he was 30 years old. You know, he didn't have his breakout season until 2019 and at that point that was his age 30 season but since then he has been one of the more reliable pitchers in the majors you know since his breakout year in 2019 Bassett has logged 140 innings or more in three of his last four seasons and the only season he didn't accomplish that feat was in 2020 because of the shortened season and even then he made 11 starts compiling 63 innings uh, and and was pretty good that year too with the A's and this past year with the Mets he logged a career high 181 and two-thirds innings over 30 starts um, 
And since we're talking about 2022, let's dive into a little bit of his numbers here as well. Um, again, not a you know guy who's going to dominate on the mound, but again, he provided the Mets length and he also gave them a 3.42 ERA, a 3.46 expected ERA, a 3.66 FIP. Um, you know, he induces a considerable amount of ground balls at a 48.8% clip last year. Um, and he was worth 2.7 Fangraphs wins above replacement. And that's notable because he's been a two-win pitcher every season except 2019, uh, excluding the 2020 campaign. But again, that year, over 63 innings, he was worth 1.3 Fangraphs war. So, you know, this is a guy who is one of the more valuable middle of the rotation guys. And considering that, you know, that market in free agency skyrocketed this year. You know, you saw uh, Taiwan Walker get four years, 72 million. Jamison Tyone, four years, 68 million. And the Blue Jays got Bassett at three years and 63 million. Now, they are paying him more per season than both Walker and Tyone, but they also don't have to pay Bassett a fourth year where, you know, his contract comes off the books after his age 36 season. And, you know, it, it is worth noting that Bassett was tied to a qualifying offer, so that definitely impacted his market because, you know, Tyone and Walker weren't, um, you know, tied down by a QO. But in this uh, instance, like, you know, does it suck that the Blue Jays have to have to forfeit their second highest second highest draft selection and uh, $500,000 of international signing bonus money? Yeah, that sucks. But the team also received two comp picks last winter after losing Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon. So in terms of draft compensation, they're still looking pretty good. Um, the international signing bonus um, money, that, that's going to hurt a bit because the Blue Jays have been pretty successful uh, in the, uh, on the international market uh, over the last you know, five years or so, basically ever since uh, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins arrived. So it'll hurt losing that portion, but the trade-off is certainly worthwhile getting a guy like Chris Bassett. Um, now again, like he's not a strikeout pitcher. You know he'll 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 be decent um, in that area, but you know he he he's basically average when it comes to generating swing and miss. Like his strikeout percentage ranked in the 46th percentile last season, whiff rate 30th percent. Um, but again, he proves effective in other ways. So while he doesn't rack up strikeouts, he does limit walks. His walk rate um, ranked in the 68th percentile last year. And we already talked about his ground ball rate. Another one of his strengths, arguably the best one, 
is, is his ability to miss barrels and limit hard contact. Because last season, his hard hit rate against placed in the 87th percentile and his average exit velocity ranked in the 95th percentile. There are two notable factors because for a guy in Bassett who doesn't throw hard, like his, his sinker averages 93 miles per hour, basically. Uh, it was at 92.8 miles per hour last season. So for a guy who doesn't throw hard, which in today's game, you wouldn't think he'd be successful. Bassett executes his pitches in a different way. You know, he's not going to blow you away with velocity, but he relies on spin and pinpoint accuracy. And he also features a wide variety um, of options to, uh, you know, be effective against both righties and lefties. You know, like, there are some similarities between Chris Bassett and someone like Ross Stripling, just in the sense that Stripling had three or four weapons that he relied on, depending on if he was if there was a righty or a lefty at the plate. Bassett's kind of the same way, where if he's facing a righty, he'll feature a heavy dose of sinkers, which um, he does against both lefties and righties. Last season, he threw his sinker 38.6% of the time against righties, but he also leaned on his slider, which was thrown at 25.3% of the time. He also utilized his four-seamer as well. And the reason why he did that is because Bassett uses his sinker and slider in the lower half of the zone, right? Inducing a lot of those ground balls. But when he wants to change the eye level, facing righties he uses his four seamer at the top of the zone and even though again that average 93.1 miles per hour didn't have a high spin rate just in the 32nd percentile but it doesn't feature um a ton of, of uh vertical movement so it doesn't drop a lot um certainly less than league average um, but it does its job effectively, and that is when hitters are focused on the lower half of the zone, Bassett will just throw in those four seamers to throw them off and basically change their eye level so that when he gets to two strikes, he can go back to the, to the sinker-slider mix. And then, <clears throat> to top that off, he also features that curveball that he has, which is one of the more nastier curveballs in baseball, just because of how slow it is, it averaged 71.5 miles per hour last season. And it doesn't feature a high spin rate, but because it's so slow and it has this arcing shape to it, it's like Zach Greinke's E-fifth pitch. Not as slow, but has that same type of effectiveness on hitters. So he used that 11.2% of the time against righties last year, and it was really effective. Like, opponents hit just 161 against it uh, with a 161 slugging, and it also produced a 26.2% whiff rate, which is, you know, pretty decent for a pitch that you only use uh, less than 15% of the time. And then, you know, occasionally he'd mix in this cutter 
and change up, but he used both less than 8% of the time last season against righties. And then when a lefty's up, again, he'll still use the heavy dose of his sinker, but he'll actually, use, he'll actually throw his cutter more against lefties. And the reason why he does that is because he locates his cutter primarily in the top left corner if you're on the pitcher's mound and, and facing the plate. It's in the top left-hand corner, and you know it doesn't feature a ton of horizontal movement, but it has just enough to throw hitters off where you, know, you think it's going to be on the plate, and then it'll break in towards lefties. So Bassett used that almost 28% of the time last season. That actually outpaced his sinker, which sat at 27.7% of the time. Both of those weapons were pretty effective against lefties last season. His cutter more than a sinker. But then, he'll throw his curveball about 17% of the time. So it's basically his third offering against lefties. And again, with that arcing shape and its slow velocity, it fools batters. Like, they hit just 152. Lefties hit just 152 against it with a 217 slugging and a 26.8% whiff rate. So again, Bassett is, is reliant upon, you know, his sinker, his cutter, his slider, his four-seamer. But his curveball is one of the more underrated pitches in his arsenal. He can't use it too much because then it loses its effectiveness. But for the amount he does throw it, it works beautifully against both righties and lefties. But it has a, a much larger effect on lefties just because... It breaks in towards them, so it's even more deceiving. And then as well, you know, he'll he'll mix in the four-seamer about 12.7% of the time last season. And then also, you know, the changeup. His changeup is probably his worst pitch. Um, it, it, it features a, you know, respectable amount of horizontal movement. Not enough vertical movement, though, so... It does, at times, hang up in the zone, which is why he only uses it, you know, about 8% of the time against lefties, less than that against righties. Um, and, and again, it's just, it, it averages 85 miles per hour, so it's just a pitch that keeps hitters honest and keeps them off his cutter and his sinker and his curveball, you know, and his other um, prominent pitches as well. But overall, if we want to think about how Bassett is going to age with the Blue Jays because he'll be in his age 34 season um, in 2023. So, you know, he is getting up to that concerning age when it comes to pitchers, especially ones who already don't throw hard. But, and, and I wrote about this for Jays Nation earlier this week, and that's Bassett stands to age favorably with the Blue Jays because of, you know, a few reasons. One of them, being his sinker it, it, it's arguably the best sinker in baseball it's run value among sinkers um, across the majors featured the second highest run value which was at negative 16 and for how much he uses it you would think hitters would perform better against it because you know, it's only coming at you at 93 miles per hour. But because he also features 
other quality offerings they can't just sit on it right you you have to worry about his slider his cutter his curveball his four seamer at the top of the zone right so you know one of my favorite pitchers to listen to is Adam Wainwright who unfortunately you know he, he plans to retire after this season so we're going to be losing one of the greater pitchers in baseball but I love hearing him dissect you know the uh, terminology and all the technical um, aspects there is of being a pitcher and one of my favorite phrases from him is you know something that he'll always remind his teammates whenever they ask when he's pitching uh, and you know a few will come up to him and say hey are you throwing tomorrow or hey are you throwing you know in a few days or whatever and he's like no no no, no. I'm pitching tomorrow and that that resonates with me because when you get up to the age that for, that Wainwright is in and you don't feature overpowering stuff, you have to be more methodical with how you go about your game plan where you have to have a much larger emphasis on pitch sequencing and location because you're not going to get away with as many things as other pitchers do who throw really hard and have nasty uh, spin rates uh, tied to their pitches and that kind of falls into where Bassett lies here because he doesn't feature high velocity he doesn't feature high spin rates but yet he's still able to be effective and that's because he goes about that same game plan where pitch sequencing is a big part about who he is and location same thing right changing the eye level giving so many different um, uh, uh, weapons that hitters have to worry about, right? And that's that's one of the biggest reasons why I see Chris, Bat Chris Bassett aging favorably with the Blue Jays. Another reason is the fact that he's been so available over the last few years, logging so many innings, being uh, so consistent with his uh, traditional metrics, right? Like, he hasn't had an ERA or FIP above three, um, or, or sorry, north of four since twenty since, since 2019, or sorry, since 2020. 2019, he still had an ERA below four, but his expected ERA and FIP was just north of four. Um, I, again, two-win pitcher or better in every season since 2019. The only year he didn't surpass two was in 2020, but yet he was still worth 1.3. You know, like, even though he's not one of the more flashy pitchers out there, um, he's still going to play an effective role for the Blue Jays next season and, and, and beyond that as well. So I really like this ad by the Blue Jays, especially because just of the, the, the terms of the deal. I, I just, I was solely expecting... You know, regardless if Bassett signed with the Blue Jays, that he was probably going to get four years um, and you know around 20 million per season, and you know he, he is going to earn 20 mil 21 million um, over his three years with the Blue Jays each season. But you know the fact that they didn't have to go a fourth year with him is just huge in my mind because you know who knows what Bassett's age 37 season is going to be like. Um, you know, like I said, he, I do think he'll age well 
in Toronto, but once you get up there to, to 37, you get into the, your late 30s, no matter how healthy you've been previously in your, in your career, which Bassett has been, you know, like he hasn't had a serious injury since 2018. And even then, that one wasn't his fault because he got hit in the head with a 100 mile an hour comebacker. So, you know, he's been pretty available throughout his entire career, despite being a late bloomer. Um, but you can kind of throw that stuff down the drain once you get into your late 30s, because, you know, just historically with pitchers, that's when your arm and shoulder and lat and all that starts to kind of go on you. And, um, you know, even though he's been effective with everything that he has up to this point, for someone who doesn't throw hard and his stuff analytically, you know, in terms of spin rate and movement and all that, doesn't grade, you know, fantastically. Uh, I don't think that's a word, but still, uh, I would just be a little concerned if the Blue Jays had given him that extra year. If anything, this, you know, this may have been the type of deal that they sort of wish they could have signed Hunjin, Hunjin Ryu to, right? Because if we think back to 2019, when he signed with the team, a lot of teams on the open market were offering Ryu three years, $20 million per season. But the Blue Jays stepped up and gave Ryu that fourth year, which, you know, we fast forward to now is his final year with the team and he's going to spend most if not all um, of next season on the IL because of Tommy John surgery and you know had the Blue Jays not had to you know step up and give Ryu that fourth year like they didn't have to for Bassett his deal would be off the books by now so you know it's just uh, it's funny to think back and look at that type of thing but um, you know I I, I do expect really good things out of Chris Bassett in 2023 and 24 and 25. Now let's uh, let's move on to Kevin Kiermeyer here because when the news first came out, you know I saw a lot of fans a little upset about you know this type of move um, for the Blue Jays, and you know I think. That's largely because a lot of misinformation was going around about when, uh, um, what his role was ultimately going to be with the team. You know, I, I saw far too many people viewing this signing as strictly Teoscar Hernandez's replacement, and that's just simply not true. Um... You know, yes, Kevin Kiermaier, if healthy, is probably going to play a decent amount with the Blue Jays next season, but by no means should we consider him Teoscar's replacement. You know, the, the Blue Jays are going to add another outfielder this winter. I don't know who that's going to be, whether it's going to be you know, Michael Conforto or Michael Brantley, Joey Gallo, or acquire somebody from, 
you know, the Diamondbacks or the Pirates or um, the Cubs, uh, the Padres, the Giants, you know, whoever it ends up being, they're not done adding. And I think, you know, Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet put this into perspective very well um, the other day in his piece saying Kevin Kiermaier is like combining Tapia, Zimmer, and Jackie Bradley Jr. into one player. And I couldn't couldn't agree more with that sentiment because that's basically who Kiermaier is. Um, if not a better defender than all three put together. Maybe, maybe, you know, it's hard to say, but the main takeaway here is that the Blue Jays signed Kiermaier to a one-year deal, so it's basically just a one-year flyer on him, who's still just 32, you know, it's not like he's 35. Um, he, there is concern, obviously, because he's coming off hip surgery from this past August, so, you know, you, you wonder whether or not that's going to take a little bit away from his range, um, but that's the risk you run with a guy like Kiermaier, but Obviously, the Blue Jays would have done their due diligence with Kiermaier. He already passed his physical, so, you know, health-wise, the Blue Jays, you know, appear to to have gotten everything they needed to feel comfortable about Kiermaier's status for next season. But, you know, obviously, um, the best precursor to a, an injury is a former one and Kiermaier is coming off a pretty big one and even still like he has had trouble staying healthy throughout his career previously um you know there was a uh, there was a point in, from 2017 to 2018 where you know he played in fewer than 100 games per season um but when on the field Kiermaier is arguably the best defensive center fielder in the game, right? Like, uh, among center fielders, Kiermaier has the most defensive runs saved since 2015. And he ranks second in outs above average, only behind Lorenzo King, who placed higher than him during that span. So... Considering that the Blue Jays, one of the bigger things they wanted to check off their um, to-do list this winter was improve their outfield defense. And by removing Tapia and Hernandez and inserting Kevin Kiermaier, they've done that. And, and what this also does, too, is Kiermaier, when he's playing... It's primarily going to be in center field. And on those days when Springer's not getting a day off or is de-aging, it's going to be in right field where, you know, two things. He's better defensively in right. And two, it should take less of a toll on his body physically, which should help him stay on the field a lot more uh, versus what he's been the last few years where he's struggled to stay healthy. Um... And, and as well, like, Kiermaier does hit left-handed, right? So this does give the Blue Jays a little bit of that lineup balance that they're hoping to accomplish. Obviously, you know, hitting is not one of Kiermaier's strengths. You know, in, in the 63 games that he played last season, 
he slashed 228, 281, 369 with seven home runs, 22 RBIs, and a 90 way to runs created plus score. So that means he was 10% worse than league average last season. And in 2021, when he played in 122 games, he only posted a 101 way to runs created plus score. So he was only 1% better than league average. So, you know, offensively, he's not going to give you a whole hell of a lot. But he makes up for it in the field. And that's certainly one of the reasons why you want him on your team. And I think as well, his role when he's not starting primarily is going to be a late game defensive replacement where you see Kiermaier put in center and Springer move to right field. Something that, you know, the Blue Jays um, showcased numerous times last season with Bradley Zimmer. But the thing is now, Kiermaier, one, can hit better, not much, but better than, than Bradley Zimmer. And two, he's an even better defender, if healthy, um, than, than Bradley Zimmer as well. So I don't see this being as a terrible move at all. Um, also, if you want to you know, just dabble into some, you know, advanced metrics here and, and have a little bit more confidence that Kiermaier can still play at an elite level defensively. Um, his sprint speed has ranked in the 90th percentile or better every single season since 2015, which is when the StatCast era began. Also, his outs above average has ranked in the 90th or 93rd percentile or better from 2017, which is when they started tracking, to 2021. And he didn't get a ranking last year just because he didn't uh, qualify, didn't log enough innings. But his arm strength, which started being tracking in 2020, has ranked in the 94th percentile or better over the last three seasons. So... For those of you who are a little concerned whether or not Kiermaier is still um, the same guy defensively, the numbers would suggest as much. Um, now, again, for those concerned that you know Kiermaier might be promoted or used more in a starting capacity. Let me remind you that Tapia played 128 games last year, and that was because of injuries to Gurriel, Springer, and Hernandez. I don't expect Kevin Kiermaier to play 128 games next season, logging 433 plate appearances like Tapia. But even if he does, Let's just say, for argument's sake. Last season, Tappy was worth 0.3 Fangraphs wins above replacement in that role that he played. Kiermaier, who played 122 games and 309 play, 390 plate appearances in 2021, was worth 2.5 wins above replacement. So even if he plays close to as much as Tapia next season. Chances are he's going to provide more than double 
the amount of value that Tapia gave the Blue Jays last season. So, you know, if Kiermaier ends up playing in 100 games in and around there, earning, again, close to 300, if not a little bit more plate appearances, probably not a bad thing for the Blue Jays. But I think it'll also depend on who comes next, right? Because they're not done spending, and they shouldn't be, because their team is still incomplete, right? Like, you can't, well, I guess you could, but it's not ideal to go into a season with a big league outfield consisting of Guriel, Kiermaier, and Springer, you know, um... Ideally, it'd be nice to add another uh, left-handed hitter to that outfield. Again, possibly somebody like Michael Conforto or Brantley or Gallo. But, you know, there's also a situation here involving the team's 40-man roster, which is now full, and they still have to add Bassett to the 40-man, which will put them at 41 players, meaning they would have to subtract somebody from that group to add Bassett. Now they could do that because they have some, uh, you know, candidates like Trent Thornton, Anthony Kay, Thomas Hash, uh, Hatch, um, Nathan Lukes, who could all warrant um, being designated for assignment. But there's also the possibility that the team pulls off a, you know, Block, maybe not a blockbuster, but very notable trade that solves a bit of that problem for them while also acquiring an outfielder. So, you know, it, it'll certainly be interesting to see if they take that route because it would kind of be like killing two birds with one, with one stone where you could kind of trim the fat from your 40-man, cr- create some extra space for a Bassett and whoever ends up being that outfielder that you acquire but it also would create space for the Blue Jays to continue adding to their pitching staff because it doesn't seem like they're done in that area either um they're still looking at some starting pitching options Sportsnet's Ben Nicholson Smith uh reported that the teams looked into Johnny Cueto who despite being 36 years old he'll be 37 next season He's still a, you know, an effective pitcher at this stage of his career. Like he filled a massive void for the White Sox last season, uh, putting up 158 in a third innings pitch, being worth 2.4 Fangraphs wins, wins above replacement. That was his highest rating since 2016. Um, so clearly, he's still got more in the tank at this point, and he's somebody who could bounce back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen that versatility like the Blue Jays prefer to have um, regarding that fifth spot and even just in terms of depth they, they like to have people who can you know bounce back and forth between two different roles so Quaida would make a lot of sense to me there's also other names out there like Drew Smiley Chris Archer those are two other guys who would make a lot of sense for the Blue Jays but They're also still looking to improve their bullpen even after acquiring Eric Swanson. You know, um, it seems like they're still looking at possibly adding 
another left hand, another high leverage um, left hander to the mix. Somebody who could join Tim Meza at the back end of the Blue Jays bullpen. That would have course. That would of course mean they would probably have to trade from, you know, the lower end. Uh, bunch in their bullpen you know somebody like Trevor Richards or Adam Simber um, just to kind of again clear some space um, clearing the way for you know another bullpen acquisition creating a path for Zach Pop to hopefully emerge into next spring and, and, and into opening day as well because he's got really good stuff and he's somebody that I could see making a pretty decent impact for the team next season. You also have Nate Pearson, his future probably going to be in the bullpen. So you would like to have, you know, a path for him to emerge into. Yosfers, Zulueta is another guy you'll probably see in the majors next year. Hagen Danner, um, Hayden Jr. as well. Two guys um, that are not too far away from from playing in the in the majors with the Blue Jays. So I wouldn't be shocked especially considering the Blue Jays have already fielded calls um, on a few of their guys, a few of their bullpen um, pieces this winter. There is interest uh, around the league and what the Blue Jays have. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up moving, you know, Simber or Richards. And, you know, just to put it into perspective how active the Blue Jays have been this winter, they're projected, following the Bassett and Kiermaier signings, they're projected to feature the fifth highest payroll next season. And they have also, they're, they're, they will cross the luxury tax once Chris Bassett's deal becomes official because that would push their luxury tax, their CBT payroll, which um, is each player's average annual value, average annual value, uh, totaled up together, it's going to be just north, or at least once Bassett's deal clears, it'll be just north of that initial $233 million threshold. So that is uncharted territory for this team that, one, has never surpassed a $200 million payroll. They're certainly going to do that this year. And they've never been a luxury tax team at all throughout their existence. So as much hate as a lot of fans have given to Mark Shapiro, especially since he came on with the Blue Jays, um, they need to probably issue a bit of a, a retractment there, attraction, retraction there, because the relationship that Shapiro has built since arriving with the Blue Jays, which came in 2015, since he joined, you know, he's formed a really strong connection with Rogers Communications. And without that, none of this spending would be possible. We would never, we would have never been talking about this team coming out and saying, the CBT threshold is not going to be an obstacle for us, which Mark Shapiro said at the winter meetings. Shockingly, he, he issued that, you know, uh, thrilling statement to all the media members in attendance. Like, that's just, it, it, it's mind-blowing to me that we actually got confirmation 
from the team that they're willing to spend into the luxury tax. Like that's just, it's a changing of the guard and it should make every single Blue Jays fan extremely excited because that means this team is willing to invest into their product much more than they have ever done so previously. And that's just, you know, it, it's so relieving to have that because, you know, for so long, you'd look at just the teams that are in the AL East, right? You look at the Yankees, you look at the Red Sox, who, you know, in recent years have uh, uh, you know, I, I, I guess they've, they've, uh, how do I put this properly? The Yankees and Red, especially the Red Sox, who, you know, <laughs> have lost Mookie Betts and Bogarts and are near, nowhere close to the luxury tax. The Yankees have, you know, maneuvered their way around the CBT in recent years and haven't exactly been the big spenders that they used to be, especially when you look across town and, and see the New York match just spending whatever they want because Steve Cohen just doesn't care uh, about the luxury tax and he's basically given the middle finger to the other 29 owners who put in that that luxury tax threshold that extra one at the top that was basically named the Steve Cohen tax he basically has now told them to go f themselves um, spending you know far beyond $300 million and, and just this crazy amount of money. So the Jays aren't going to do that. But the fact that they are above the luxury, projected to be above the luxury tax and aren't done spending either should just help everyone sleep better at night regarding this team. And so it'll be interesting to see what comes next for them. Um, the, uh, the, the pitching market has... has heated up especially lately you know we see um just yesterday Noah Syndergaard signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers brought uh Brad Boxberger uh signing earlier today as well so it wouldn't shock me if the Blue Jays make another pitching addition sometime soon um you know obviously the holidays aren't too far away from now so perhaps they take a bit of a break here until the new year before making any more signings, but you never know what happens um, during this crazy time of the year. Um, but the off season has certainly um, gotten off to a really good start for the Blue Jays, right? I'd, I'd probably grade them at like a B right now between the... You know, the Hernandez trade, the Bassett and Kiermaier signings, I'd, I'd put them at a B. And, you know, if they add another outfielder, another starting pitcher, and even a reliever, they, they add three more. If they make three more additions, I'd probably put them, you know, A minus, A. Um, but, but again, to winning the offseason isn't going to win you, doesn't necessarily win you a World, world Series. So, um, even though, you know, we, we, we see a lot of teams like the Mets and the Padres, um, and, and the Phillies as well, spending a lot of money, 
doesn't necessarily translate to wins the following season. So that's just something to keep in mind um, throughout this winter. But that does it for this week's episode. I hope all of you will join me next time for another edition of Blue Jays World Update. And happy holidays to everyone. Thanks for listening.